Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 652nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is working to increase awareness about healthy food and personal health. We're talking with Shannon Owen about educational gaps in nutritional density. Shannon is the co-owner at Cheshire Curiosities Micro Farm and Homestead located in Evansonville, Indiana. In 2020, they converted their basement to a commercial grow room with a heart for developing nutrient-dense food in their area by growing microgreens. With this newfound focus, they began a mission to feed their community by bringing healthy options to their local region. Welcome to the show today, Shannon. Are you ready to rock microgreens? Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I am so excited. But before we get to my excitement, I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah. So for me and my husband, we are newlyweds. Last year was obviously a little bit of crazy for everybody. For us, especially since we eloped in January of last year with the hard intention to have a May wedding, which eventually got to a November wedding, which got pushed to a, we don't even know when we're going to have a wedding. So we decided to kind of make lemonade out of lemons and we converted our basement to a commercial grow room. And I had tossed around the idea, I said, hey, you know, what about if we grow microgreens? He had no clue what that was. <laughs> and before you know it, we were on a trail uh, to learn and, you know, all the videos pulled up, all the research. And we just found like the superfood that they are. And we decided to go for it. So here we wow. are. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, right. So that, that I'm getting chills as you're sharing that. That is what I'm so dang excited about. To have a conversation with you today. So you went into 2020 COVID year and you were just <laughs> getting married and you came up with this idea to convert your basement into a micro greenery growing space. Right. <laughs> we call it the grow room. <laughs> a grow room. Oh my gosh. That is epic. That is, that is so <laughs> epic. So I got to know. So this was you pushing this forward. Where did this come from? Because you said your hubby didn't really know what 
microgreens were. So what was the seed that got planted in you that had this happen? I mean, I'm always, I'm a discovery queen. I'm always trying to learn more and I love the concept of gardening. Anyways, I had already been utilizing aeroponic garden systems and had like three of them that I was growing indoors. And so for me, it was kind of a segue to, and the more information came up as I did searches, the more that that seemed to be pointing us in that direction. Wow. 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 So how big is your basement? The actual growing space is 100 square feet of growing space, mm-hmm. which we can pump out anywhere from 60 to 70 pounds of microgreens weekly. Wow. <laughs> so it's pretty condensed, but it's it's very efficient. <laughs> and what are you doing with all these pounds of microgreens? So we are not at full capacity yet, but we do have several restaurants on board. We actually, as well this year, decided to launch a home delivery subscription service to make it easier for people to get microgreens delivered right to their doorstep. And then we also do, of course, a couple farmers markets a week as well. Wow. How cool is that? So talk to me about, and I got other, you know, we're going to talk about nutritional density and all that kind of stuff, but talk to me about the conversion of your basement. What did that look like? What, what steps did you take? What kind of grow system do you have? Talk to me about lights, lighting, you know, all that (laughs) stuff. What, what's up? So, well, you know, when you have basement space, it tends to be the clutter zone. So it was very much so that a place where everything goes that doesn't have a home. And so, <laughs> right. yeah, and, and I'm guilty of having a lot more stuff in the mirror. So we just made a mission to clear it out and to go through things. It was kind of a grueling process before this business started. We were thinking about, we were doing a pallet business, which was a complete flop. So we had a bunch of random stuff left over in here. So it was clear out. And then we ordered the shelves and the the grow light and got them all set up with different things. And it's kind of evolved a little bit. The space itself is fairly similar to where we first started, but we actually swatched, I would say we swatched over to hydroponics about a month and a half, two months ago, I want to say. Well, maybe like three months ago, because we started out with soil. We found even with organic soil, there was a lot of inconsistency inconsistency with the mixture just different aspects to the soil so we actually went fully hydroponic on say three three months or so ago so you're actually growing microgreens hydroponically correct so we actually follow everything to the organic farming practice standards i mean all, everything that we use is either omri certified or organic user practices we do use organic seeds so other than having the expensive certification everything's the heart blood of of organic. Wow. How cool is that? And so you're, you're obviously growing on some kind of rack and you'll send us yes. photographs of your, oh, yeah. for the show notes page, right? Oh yeah. We'd love to show that. We're also kind of fun. We started a TikTok to try to like, just show a little bit more of behind the scenes. And that's been really fun to show people the really like behind the scenes of everything because it's hard to really wrap your mind around what we do until you actually see it and right? my friends came over to tour the, the farm so to speak and she's like I feel like I'm in Alice in Wonderland <laughs> wow oh cool all right and then you know so this is tell me what the what does the system look like if give me a, a word picture of what the system looks sure. like so we are using shelving units that have five different shelves to each shelving unit. Mm-hmm. And each 
shelf can house four trays. So you can do, you know, 20 trays per shelving unit. So we have four of those that are wow. used for growing with the grow lights. We have a stainless steel table for harvesting and prepping. We do normally set up like a pop-up table to help with, you know, packaging and stuff like that yeah. as well. But uh, we're hand, we do hand watering from the bottom, like bottom watering. And we use a, an ocean solution, which has got, you know, all the essential minerals and nutrients that are necessary to help pump it out. So, so you're hand watering them through the hydroponic system. Yes. My husband does have intentions to eventually go to more of a, what they would call an ebb and flow system, which is a lot more hands off. I'm sure he would love that since every day he has to water (laughs) them each tray twice a day. So we lovingly joke that, you know, we have a little nursery and we tuck them in at night and read them bedtime stories. (laughs) Oh, nice. Love it. Well, and you know, here's the thing. When you start a business like this, it's an exploration. Yes. Right. You got to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, you could throw $10,000 at a project like this and get three (laughs) months into it and realize that it was a waste of money. And that has been our fear, especially with us realizing like for our demographic, we don't have a demographic. We have to create that. Mm -hmm. And so a huge part of what we do is, I would say, centered upon education and allowing people to try it for the first time and just kind of making it uh, less intimidating. Got it. Wow. Watering is something that definitely needs to get done every day. And it sounds like you guys got a good handle on that. And (laughs) as, as your system grows, as you learn it more, you can put more technology in place that will help you, you know, do an ebb and flow or whatever. But the, the important piece is to, step into it slowly and grow it slowly. Cause I actually, the reason that I asked the question about failure on this podcast is because in 2004, I went all in into a local business where we were growing plant starts for people. Oh, nice. It was nice. And I invested $80,000 the first year and (laughs) and it failed. Oh, (laughs) and it failed. And so that was, you know, for me, that was a, a wake up call to, all right, maybe we should have put 8,000 in, see if we could make the 8,000 work and then right. build it from there. So I'm proud of you for, you know, not jumping full on in with something until you kind of discover it. <laughs> in our own way, we did kind of jump all in because we probably could have gone a little bit uh, lower scale, but I'm really grateful too, because we've been able to pump out a lot of good food. Nice. Well, all right. So let's talk about that good food and kind of define nutrient scarcity and nutrient density. And what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, essentially food scarcity is, is a matter of access. And ultimately that's also the source of a lot of insecurity. So not having access to nutrient rich foods, foods that fuel the body ultimately means that there's community collapses in terms of not having what everyone needs to really sustain a healthy life. And micronutrients are highly nutrient dense, right? Yes. So microgreens have been studied. There's been some governmental studies that show that they're anywhere from four to 40 times more nutritious by volume. So a lot of power punch in terms of nutrients, minerals, and the things your body needs. Right. Wow. 
And why is it important to grow food locally? And what makes buying from our local farmer's market so important? Ultimately, you're contributing to the small grower, which is great. But when it comes down to, you know, when you think of commercialized growing, oftentimes, especially Indiana, you see a lot of fields. But what you're seeing are corn and soybean. And so they're fueling the meat industry as a whole. So there, a lot of the food that comes in on your plate is not coming locally. So it does mean that there's transit time. You lose vital nutrients in transit because the moment something's harvested, it automatically starts going down in that nutrient density. So there's that. Sometimes it's coming out of the country. There's more contact. So there's more contamination factor. So that does also contribute to health as well. If your body's having to sidestep and take care of contamination or food issue, that's not going to be good for you. Right. And I happen to believe that growing food in cities and buying from our local farmers markets is one of the most important things you can be doing these days. Um, What do you see as the future of farming in America? Well, I think we need to bridge the gap in really having that face-to-face with a farmer. The relationship with your farmer builds community. I mean, I look at farmers as the pillars or the building blocks of a community really ultimately if we didn't have farmers in general we would not have food we wouldn't <laughs> be, in be trouble, there here right we'd be in big trouble so you have to know where your food comes from no it's cliche to say but it really is 100 percent true and really moving away from big agriculture and commercialized farming means that you're moving towards localized produce and meat and, and that is just going to bring the community together uh, we kind of have a philosophy that Slow food movement is such a catch, but it's really, there's some truth to it. But the fun part is, you know, with other growing methods that are available, kind of growing of the future, like aeroponics, aquaponics, hydroponics, you know, it grows faster. So that's going to leave you more time to slow down and foster friendships while eating rich nutrient food. Nice. I do notice I have a tower garden. A tower garden is a, they yeah. call it aeroponic growing, but it's, yeah. it's like hydroponics. And we have a tower garden here that we grow greens throughout the summer on because we can't grow them outside. It's just too dang hot at over 100 degrees. Right. And it's amazing. Once we start the plants in the tower and get them growing, it's almost <laughs> like you could watch them grow. They oh, grow yeah. So fast. We, we actually have them as well, and we love them. <laughs> Wow. And how is what you are doing part of the solution to, you know, this whole issue? I mean, because mm-hmm. you're just 100 square feet in your basement. <laughs> how right. does that make a difference? Well, we, we kind of we know that we are not the singular solution to the gross problem. But we also don't want to remove ourselves and say, oh, well, we have no impact. I think that's When you start taking ownership of a community issue, that's where you build community. And for us, you know, with us specialized in the superfood of microgreens, the density, the nutrient density is just there. The science supports it. And ultimately giving people access to something that was harvested the day before, or sometimes even the day of, that's already a superfood. You can't get anything better than that. And we know how many people here are impacted by their health. And so really the city we want to be flourishing. Wow. So this is really a community process for you. It's a community building project more than anything else. Are you teaching people how to do their own microgreens? 
So actually, coincidentally enough, a lady had, I had mentioned to her what we did, kind of our backstory, and she was so impressed. She kind of went on a rampage looking at her site and seeing all that we do and, and looking over our content. And she was like, please mentor me. And so she's in Missouri, um, not even anywhere like remotely next door to us. So yes, we are actually working on some mentorship alliances just to help people because we don't really view them as competition. We just feel like it's part of fixing the food problem. And we are working as a company to put together local growers and get them together to be on the same page. And we're really trying to bring a market that's indoor here because farmers are outside a lot and they're already having to deal with heat. So giving them a place to bring their produce, it, it really solves a lot of problems. We also want to work with our local city to offer bus tokens to allow people who generally would not have access otherwise to be able to get to a market and purchase what they need. Wow. What has the reaction, because you're, you're new farmers. I mean, you guys yeah. have been doing this just for over a year. And what has the reaction been at the market from people that walk by your booth? Are they excited? Well, I think they generally don't have any interest. Like there's a lot of people at our farmer's markets that are not there to buy produce, which kind of is surprising. We tend to heckle them a little bit just for fun. And then eventually, you know, we play around with it. We lighten the mood and we get them to sample it. And that really is the best way for people to try it. It's just like a little kid, you know, you got to expand their palate a little bit. A lot of people aren't used to microgreens or just greens in general. So just breaking down those barriers of like, oh, I don't like that to, hey, try it. And we give them out, we give them like our logo stickers just for like being a good sport and stuff like that. So, but we've had some people try it and they're like, wow, that has a lot of flavor. And it does. They are very flavorful. Yeah. Awesome. And so where do you see this going in 10 years? Because it's, you're, you're part farm, part community building. What are you doing with it? Well, we may have some little aggressive goals, but I think it's just in our genes and in our nature. But we ultimately would like to see an indoor community where people can come. And of course, there'd be events and you know, makers, more than just farmers, but ultimately it's a way to bring people together because you're able to lift somebody else up by knowing their needs. And mm. if you're not ever in one one building, how do you ever know that there is a need? Right. You're just in your own little vacuum. So I think ultimately our heart of the farm is to, you know, build up the organization. We have in, in our hearts to bridge those gaps in community. And then ultimately food is at the center of it because that's what sustains community. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, have you heard the term makerspace? Okay. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Makerspaces are places where the community comes together and makes something specific. It started out in technology and look that up. Makerspaces. They, uh, okay. uh, it might be what you're after. The other thing that I've been doing here in Phoenix is what I call the cool tool shed hmm. where, you know, when, so one of the things in our cool tool shed here is a mesquite bean mill. Mesquite beans come off of mesquite trees and okay. this is like a, you know, a $15,000 item that the community helped buy about five years ago. And we do com- public community millings oh, wow. with this tool, right? It's So it's a tool that the, the community wouldn't normally have. Yeah. But inside the cool tool shed, you know, it's something that people can, can use. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, well, great work with what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you learned <laughs> from it. I, I laugh only because that's the only thing you can do. Right? We started out growing what we thought would be uh, an intermediate crop, but it ended up being a very difficult crop for us to grow, and that was amaranth. And amaranth became our arch nemesis slash our <laughs> we must conquer this crop. And we probably blew through up until about a week and a half, two weeks ago, about a pound of seeds without actually being successful every week. It would just not work. And so as of two weeks ago, I can <laughs> give myself and my husband a round of applause. We've figured it out and it is growing successfully and beautifully. And we're really excited because for him with MS, ultimately people have high, low lysine levels. It has 1.9 grams of lysine per serving. So for, wow. for him, it's going to be a game changer. We're going to grow it every week. But yeah, that was a huge blow. But I mean, he literally cried when he saw that it was growing well, because it was just nice. so much effort. Yeah. That's so much effort put into it. Wow. Wow. Cool. And what do you consider your biggest success? Being able to really be in gross in the community and having those conversations for us, it makes all the difference because we, we know that those one-on-one -on -one interactions are what changes a society or changes a community on a local level to be more connected mm -hmm. to one another. So I really do hope that, you know, we are making impact here, but, you know, I can walk away and be proud of what we've done. We launched the home delivery subscription service, which has been nice. And we're in several restaurants, so that is helping them as well. We've noticed never, several times over, your stuff is so much better than this company's stuff. Nice. And, and that's only because it's local, so it's fresh. Yep. Right. Wow. And what drives you? I think for me, there's so many people struggling. There's so many people who have needs that are just not being met. And nutrition is a huge part of it. wouldn't say I'm super crunchy per se. I do generally try to go for healthy food, but I also know that that can make the diff all the difference for people. And so for me, what better way to love people than to feed them? And so I think our hearts are really to bring the city something different. This We kind of are in a more closed off city. People don't generally say hi to each other. They're just kind of in their own lane and that's that. And we really are fostering an environment of conversation. And so for us, I think those conversations we have one-on-one -on -one are what fuels us. Awesome. And what inspired this in you? I want you to dig really deep and share with our listeners, like what's your big why? You, Shannon, it's like, you know, something yeah. happened over the course of the past couple of years where you said, dang, I'm going to do this. I think I just really like of high virtue of, hey, people need to be taken care of. People need to be loved on. And ultimately, mm. I'm just on a mission to share love through the most simple thing, your basic needs. Ooh. If you don't have your basic needs, you can't operate. You can't begin to give emotional investment to your family so I think for me, it's a bigger picture, but it's, it's just making it simple. You just got to, you don't have to think too hard. If you can solve a person's main problem, which is food access, then that solves a triad of other oh issues my gosh. going on. That is the case. Wow. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. 
If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? We're constantly like soaking things up. So it's like trying to narrow it down to like one is so hard. We are currently reading the book Food Fight, which is GMOs in the Future of the American Diet by Kay Jenkins. And so we're really trying to dig into understanding why the structure was set up this way and how to change it and and why it's maybe no longer sustainable. So we're actually in the middle of that book right now. And so far, it's been pretty eye-opening. Oh, right. There's so many of those. I just recently found a, uh, a movie on Amazon Prime called Heal. Mm. And, you know, it's uh, so much of it is about food. Yeah. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? You know, I try to think of microgreens as a very simple way to change your mindset. A lot of times people think you need to put them on smoothie, in smoothies, wraps, salads. And I think, okay, awesome. Those are great initial ideas. Put them on pizzas, put them on burgers, put them on hot dogs too. Because it shouldn't be that hard to just kind of do one slow introduction of something that's like a superfood in your life. You don't have to, you know throw away your entire diet. It's more sustainable if you just introduce it a little bit at a time in ways that are manageable and not overwhelming. Nice. So slide them in where you can, especially with the kids. Yeah. And kids, you know, it's funny. Kids are coming to us. Actually, parents are coming to us because their kids are actually eating microgreens. And it's the most hilarious thing because they're like, my kids don't like broccoli, but they love your broccoli microgreens. And I'm like, that's hilarious. And one of the vendors sent us over a picture and his kid was putting broccoli microgreens on ice cream. And I was just like, oh, well, okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, do your thing, kid. (laughs) Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Shannon. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. You bet. And how can our listeners find you? We are CheshireCuriosities.com. We also have Facebook, Instagram, and our silly videos on TikTok. You got to love those. I was going to say TikTok. And and what is your TikTok handle? It's just Cheshire Curiosities. We we have a lot of fun there. (laughs) I'll bet. I am on my way over to check it out. (laughs) Awesome. And again, Thank you so much for your work in breaking down, you know, the barriers just by spreading information and, and challenging people to think differently. It's just wonderful on, on both sides of the fence. So. Right. Well, it's, it sounds to me like it is, and I'm going to say our, your and my mission to do that. Because much of what I do is on the get the word out end. Yeah. You know, I have my garden and I have my tower garden and I grow some food here at the urban farm. I have a food forest and all that. But really, my passion is waking people up. And it sounds to me like you're in pretty much the same place. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely trying to change the conversations. And in order to do that, you have to change how you think about interacting with others when it comes to food. Right. Wow. Well, once again, thank you so much. Thank you as well. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Shannon Owen. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. 
Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.